Chapter 15. To Have and to Hold. Commences with a quote by Russell Fisher's dad. We don't own things. Things own us. If aliens landed on Earth and saw tall, two-legged beings getting pulled along on leashes by smaller, four-legged beings, they would probably wonder which was the superior being. Which one ruled the relationship? Who owned whom? However, all doubt would be cast aside as soon as they saw the four-legged being crouch and the two-legged being bend down to pick up what had been deposited, put it in a plastic bag and place it all in their pocket. Ownership is a two-way transaction. When I was 12, my parents sold a business and as we hadn't been on a major family vacation in years, they busted the bank and took my sister and I on a four-month journey through parts of Asia and Europe. It opened my eyes to the incredible planet we share, the historical foundations on which Christianity is built, and the responsibility I have towards so many of my global neighbours. It was absolutely amazing. Now, my boys are a similar age, so it's my turn. As I write, we're in the midst of a lengthy discovery tour. It's a mixed itinerary of volunteering on humanitarian and mission projects, shooting some video clips on the topic of faith versus finance, visiting faith-building sites, and hitting some of the main tourist spots. Before we departed, our dear friends Dave and Cindy, who are also adventurous whole-family explorers, gave us a couple of books about the experiences of other families on similar adventures. One was World Trek, A Family Odyssey, by Russell and Carla Fisher. The Fishers quit their jobs, rented out their house, sold or stored their cars, and locked away their household goods. Russell remembered walking away from the storage unit with nothing but a pack on his back, and the feeling of incredible freedom from being almost assetless. He recalled his father's words of wisdom, which can only really be learned with age and experience. We don't own things. Things own us. How ironic it is that we spend the best part of our lives trying to own more and more things, only to find that the things have more of a grip on us than we do on them. Someone once told me that I should keep every piece of real estate that I ever owned. Do what the Greeks do, buy and never sell. It sounded like a wise way to build up a healthy retirement fund and some assets to pass on to our kids. Not to mention that if we had a healthy real estate portfolio, then surely we would be in a much better position to help people in need. So we went for it. Melinda and I set a goal that we would try to keep every home that we lived in. It wasn't difficult with our first home. It was so small it could be moved around on its two wheels. It didn't even have room for a door on the toilet. So we had to whistle when we had visitors. We lived in our love shack trailer for five wonderful years. When our first son, Ethan, arrived, we moved into a small 77 square metre, that's 840 square foot, brick home. But we kept the love shack. God was blessing us immensely, so we also kept that home and paid cash for a bigger one, and then another and another, all the while keeping the previous ones, totally debt-free. The Greeks know their stuff, or so we thought. Over the same period, we managed to replace our budget bed, second-hand lounge and donated kitchen table with 11 rooms full of new furniture. The whistling bathroom somehow transformed into three en-suites, our student-mobile, of seriously questionable roadworthiness, was replaced by three vehicles for two drivers, 
and I can only imagine what sort of an automobile collection I might have had if I didn't believe that cars are just an essential waste of money. Our six-foot by eight-foot dirt-floored garden shed became a 1,200-square-foot three-bay barn with a mezzanine floor, skylights and three-phase power. Our muddy, drought-ridden swimming hole became a pretentious, ten-foot-deep, landscaped resort pool with a diving board. And our faithful little push mower became a 48-inch John Deere to cut our acres of lawn. You get the picture. And you can probably see a similar pattern of continuous supersizing in your own life. All the while we rented out our previous homes, opened and swelled a bunch of bank accounts and built up other assets. What was the outcome? Well, with just a little tongue-in-cheek, I was forced to retire in my 30s so that I had time to care for the rental properties, bank accounts, superannuation funds, investment projects and the ever-increasing maintenance on the homes, yards, cars and pool. Not to mention my need to put aside sufficient time each day to carefully worry about the security and potential legal liabilities of each asset. I also found it well-nigh impossible to find the motivation and time to tell others about Jesus. And my Bible study time and relationship with God were regularly under pressure. My heart was elsewhere. Isn't it great to be owned by stuff? Maybe that's why some people call it the trappings of wealth. And yet, as I looked around, I saw that I wasn't the only one on the asset-building real estate merry-go-round. The audiences at the motivational seminars and the How to Own a 100 Homes in Three Years lectures seemed to include a very high percentage of churchgoers. Could it be that the self-centred focus of asset accumulation, the storing up of treasures on earth, is the greatest danger facing most Christians today, not just me? I'll take the liberty to answer my own question. Yes, I believe that the greatest danger facing most Christians today is a self-centred focus on asset accumulation combined with either a blindness to the danger, an apathy to the problem, or an apparent inability to release ourselves from it. We are immersed so deeply and joined so tightly to a culture that focuses almost solely on personal gain and individual success that we are all but blind to our condition. How have we been so quick to violate Christ's instruction in Matthew 6.19? Do not lay up for yourselves treasure on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. And equally willing to ignore his mind-blowing invitation to accumulate our very own heavenly assets to be enjoyed for eternity. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where's your heart? God revealed just how well he knows my heart when he said, The heart is deceitful above all things, and beyond cure. Who can understand it? In my heart, I had what appeared to be very noble reasons for building up my assets. A secure retirement? increased ability to care for my children, and a desire to help people in need. But in the process, even though I was continuously following those noble reasons, my heart got owned by the treasures. What's owning you?